0: Handle on the news. Handle
1: on the news!
0: There's no requirement, really. You don't get vetted. Just, hey, can you pass this CAT scan? Do you have AIDS or hepatitis? No, you're in.
1: And now, here's Bill Handle.
2: KFI, oh good God! If only uh, you could hear what uh, Wayne and I do before the show and during the breaks. I mean, it that would be by far the most entertaining show once uh, that you would ever ever hear. The
0: most entertaining show that would be broadcast exactly once, exactly precisely, <laughs>
2: and uh, the new and a new talk show host and
0: a new sports person
2: would be here the next day. All right, uh, good morning on a July third. There's Jennifer Jones Lee. Hello. And Wayne Resnick. Good morning. And Alex and John, who's over there. Okay, I was just wondering. Oh, it's your uh, reflection, Alex. Uh, It was, no, no, it's all right. I thought that it was someone inside there. And I was about to say, gee, Alex, she's wearing the same dress you are. (laughs) How (laughs) dare she? Right. What a coincidence. I mean, the exact same dress.
3: That's crazy. Yeah,
2: it is. (laughs) All right, uh, tomorrow is July 4th. We have a, a, I think we have a July 4th uh, topic, uh, either uh, during the course, uh, probably during the news, right? All right, uh, and tomorrow is uh, the birthday of uh, not only the United States of America, but also my mother.
1: Okay. Yeah,
2: both both born in
0: 1776, I might add. So she's kind of a Yankee doodle dandy. Uh, I mean, not
2: actually. But yeah, no, no. Yeah. OK, fine. Yeah. I, I, yeah.
3: Do you go see her
2: N- you on know, her birthday? I, no, probably, I don't know. Maybe I see her a couple of times a week.
3: Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah. And it's pretty depressing, actually.
3: <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, it is. Uh,
2: she yeah. has no no cognition there at all. Yeah. She's you know, in bed. She can't get out of bed. She's uh, she has to be bathed and uh, you know fed uh, like a baby. And uh, I mean, as bad as that is. It's $100,000 a year on top of that. You know how and much cocaine mom. I could buy for $100,000 a year? You know how many hookers you could pay for? Wait a sec. Did I say that right? Yeah. Do you bad. know how many kids you could feed? Uh,
0: is that better? <sighs> better. That was the fastest rise of sympathy <laughs> for you and depletion of sympathy for you I've ever seen happen. Uh, Everybody's like, oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. There was
3: a look of, like, ah on my face, and then an eye roll. Well, how, how else am I going to live my
2: life?
0: Right? All right. It, it, it is, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot for being a real person that you are, but when that happens, when the parent completely yeah. goes, it is so horrifying and terrifying really? that I, my dark da- humor is almost the only way to dad, really cope.
2: When my dad died, uh, he died at 4 a.m. I was in front of this microphone at 5 a.m. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And then I, uh, during uh, when my dad died, and this is one that uh, my mother didn't appreciate. I, uh, there was, I was doing a a eulogy and there were, uh, uh, my mother's in the front row, of course. And uh, I whispered to her enough so the people around her could hear. And I whispered, one down, one to go. Now, the people around just lost it because they knew me. They thought it was the funniest damn thing they'd ever heard. My mother didn't think so so much. And usually she laughed at my stuff.
3: Maybe not that one. You might have crossed a line. Really? Just saying.
2: Really? Okay. Maybe. She knew I wasn't serious. I am now, but she knew I wasn't. I think we're gonna stop at that point, yes. don't you? Yeah, I think you we're will. going I think I'm going down that dark path into the rabbit hole and not good news. You guys ready to do? Oh, what? the stories we're carrying. The Thai soccer team. Oh. Boy, what news! They discovered those kids alive, which no one expected. Uh, yesterday, uh, we talked about this, the Idaho, the Idaho stabbing, and I said, uh, with four kids that were life-threatening, you know, one of them is going to die, and in fact, one did. And uh, so, there's a lot going on. So, why don't we do it? Handle on the news. Lead story. I'm a I'm not All right. The big one is those 12 boys that a soccer coach found alive in that Thailand cave nine days after becoming trapped. Whatever, we don't know what food they had. Uh, we have no idea. Later on, I am also want to do a story and uh, do the comparison to the Chilean miners, what they went through. Because there's an untold story there. Not any great surprise, but just... How it came down, and and it's fascinating, and uh, it's uh, the uh, the rescue attempts not only are balls to the wall and val involve thousands of people, yeah. So that's good news. We'll do more of that uh, coming up at uh, eight o'clock. Okay.
3: And you just mentioned the Idaho story, and now a three-year-old, the three-year-old whose birthday party it was, was stabbed and has died.
2: Ah. Oh. Well, obviously, uh, Timothy Kinder is now looking at a charge of uh, first-degree murder. I, do they even have the death penalty in uh, Idaho? They may. I don't
0: they know. May. You never I... really hear about major crimes like this coming out of there in the news. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's pretty—Boise uh, is a fairly safe town, unless you want to get run over by a moose. Do they have, even, do they have moose in uh, in Boise? I
1: don't know, but they do have a death penalty. They've carried out 29 executions since 1864 when it was established. So,
2: when's the last? Does it say when the last execution was?
1: The last one. Let me look.
3: This little girl who uh, was one of six injured in the attack. So there were eight victims. One child was treated and released. Seven others are still in the hospital. Many of them with serious or critical injuries.
2: Yeah. but four, I believe, were life-threatening. And so one out of the four now, the three-year-old has passed away. And that doesn't even mean that the other ones weren't. We don't know who's struggling for life and who isn't at this point.
1: To answer your question, yeah, the last guy who was executed in Idaho was in 2012 by lethal injection.
2: All right. So hopefully another one goes down. Although it takes years and years, uh, unfortunately. California is about 35 years. So uh, the vast majority of uh, death row inmates, uh, inmates die of old age. Before uh, they're ever executed, I, th- I think it's been years since we've executed the last one.
0: Oh yeah, it's been forever. Yeah. Uh, speaking of major horrible crimes, it's it's Gabriel Fernandez all over again, up in the Antelope Valley. Heather Barron and her boyfriend Kareem Leva, uh, they were gonna be arraigned yesterday. That was postponed, so they didn't enter a plea. They're charged with murder, torture, and child abuse. Uh, Anthony Avalos, her son died yeah. 10 years old. They called the cops and said he fell down. Yeah,
2: Inevitably, that's what always happened. Here, a question I have, and uh, that is now that uh, he's been charged uh, with uh, murder, we knew it was, oh, she's now been charged. Well, both of them, her yes. and the boyfriend. And uh, this story, and it's, uh, I'm reading it uh, from KTLA, said uh, she could receive uh, 22 years to life in prison. Uh, Leva faces a maximum uh, sentence of 32 years to life. It's murder with torture. It's an enhanced uh, uh, charge. It's death penalty. I can't tell can from go- this if
0: it's first degree murder, though.
2: How can it not be? The yeah, the kid died, and there were ev- there's evidence of torture.
0: I don't. Maybe know. they haven't was- yet
2: put the pieces together. Possibly.
0: Again. I mean, this did just happen on June 20th. So, yeah. and guess what? Just like with Gabriel Fernandez, a long history. Of reports yes. of abuse of yep. this child to authorities. Yep, there
2: goes another one. All right, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back and uh, do more. We have lots of news to cover today. This is KFI, Jennifer Jones Lee. KFI AM uh, 640 handle here. It is a. Uh, Tuesday morning, uh, July 3rd, tomorrow being July 4th, and uh, it's barbecue time, which I don't use. maybe we'll do a barbecue, I have no idea. All right, big news that we're uh, covering today, the Thai soccer team, great news, they discovered those kids alive, and they're going to be rescued, although there's a world uh, about that rescue too, that's not going to be so easy, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on, and at 9.50, just before the show ends, one of my favorite topics, uh, death. I'm going to do another death story. Death is good. I just love death. It's just something. Funerals, people dying. It's just, it's. I just tend to go there. My favorite, favorite topic would be someone dying at Brent's. It couldn't It couldn't be better. That would be the best day of my that life. That would be
3: horrible because they'd probably close the place down.
2: Oh, I don't think so. Are you kidding? Then the, you couldn't go for a couple kidding? of days. Okay, because the Jews would go crazy. There'd be a riot. OK, God, that's, I don't know what's going on this morning.
3: Yesterday you were in one kind of mood. Today it's a different kind of mood, but still a mood. Yeah. All right.
2: Let's do it. More Handle on the news.
3: Well, could you just please leave it to the experts? That's what people in L.A., at least the county, is asking you to do when it comes to fireworks.
2: I can hear
1: the fireworks.
2: Yeah, this is crazy. Every year this happens.
1: I right?
2: People on their own, and there's one uh, guy who, of course, his hand's going to be amputated oh, uh, because he blew his hands off with uh, fireworks at home. So there's his career as a conductor is gone. It is just horrible as to why people do this.
3: Well, I think one of the issues—Brian uh, Suits was talking about this yesterday because he was kind of doing um, play-by-play of the guy as the helicopter went down to get the guy who whose hands had been— um, Blown, blown off, off. yeah. Uh, so he was saying that apparently there are people who make these fireworks. Oh, no, they're cr- they're out of their minds, and they're like mass sellers. Yeah, and people go to John's house because John apparently is very good I, at it's making just, fireworks. This crazy what the hell people. How does John know about making fireworks? Yeah,
2: it was. Uh, I remember uh, you could buy what we used to do as kids. We go to Ventura because in LA County it was illegal to buy fireworks, and Ventura County it was legal. And I remember the big boxes, safe and sane. They should have said safe and insane. And we would uh, just have fireworks uh, out in the street. And then uh, you hear these stories of these accidents happening where uh, it, uh, the fuse part of it. You know, for example, the sparklers or whatever you were doing uh, would all of a sudden speed up, and uh, and they uh, it would be, they put more powder in than they should, and boom, it was it's crazy to do that. Also, fireworks at home are boring as just boring as hell relative to the fireworks you see at the parks those are fireworks you know these little yeah so what you know you can have a good uh grease fire at home and it's more impressive
3: and could people please stop just wait until the fourth of july and do it because my dogs are freaking out every yeah. single freaking night
2: yeah the whistling peats. don't oh, we love those? those
0: yeah that was what the film scanners was
2: based on did you know
0: that
3: no
2: oh. <laughs>
0: Okay, let's move on. Uh, And you already mentioned the guy in the San Gabriel Valley who blew his hands off. Uh, I'll just add to that that the people in the neighborhood have been complaining for the last two weeks that they've been hearing fireworks. Uh, So here's what I want to know. Now that this guy. (laughs) Very good. John, you are a genius. I would like to know if now that this one guy blew his hands off, if they stop hearing the fireworks in the neighborhood.
3: Los Angeles City Councilman Mike Bonin was among those arrested on Monday after they linked arms and sat down in front of the entrance to a downtown detention facility. Who
1: yeah, says you can
2: go Who says you can't go you can protest all you want, but uh, if you're blocking, for example, entrances to buildings or roads, etc., uh, you, you should get arrested. And uh, he was only held a couple of hours uh, and then released. He has a date, uh, court date to appear at. What they should do is just fine. A few hours next to Bubba in prison, right? His and and Mike becomes uh, Bubba's new girlfriend, and oh, just a couple hours. That's fine. That works. No, so of course uh, he is uh, going to be let go, and it's going to be a badge of honor
3: that he was arrested. I'm sure he accomplished exactly what he was hoping to. Yeah.
0: A guy was arrested at a Families Belong Together immigration rally over the weekend in Alabama. He pulled out a handgun, and he also shouted, Womp Womp! What the hell does that mean? Womp Womp. Uh, You know, the thing, I'm not sure because it's not clear if he said Womp Womp as he brandished the gun, which maybe that's his way, instead of saying uh, pew pew or pow pow. Or if it was a separate expression of derision for the fact that these people were rallying in support of immigrants. I don't know, but he is under arrest.
2: Shane Seeley is his name. Yeah, uh, shouting womp womp as a local pastor spoke from a gazebo. No shots were fired. Uh, And they arrested him. And uh, he's... um, no one really knows what womp womp
0: means. Not either. in that context. Mm-hmm. No. Or actually in any, any context. context. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, uh well, the wait, pastor's you know name was uh Reverend Donald Womp. No, just kidding. <laughs> See, that
2: would be good. See there <laughs> now, now that works. Let's take a break. All right, Jennifer Jones Lee. With a thousand thousand Still here in the morning crew on a July 3rd a Tuesday uh, the big stories that we're covering the Thai soccer team those kids and the coach have been rescued what a story that is we'll cover that a little bit later and the comparison to the Chilean minor uh, because they had a rough time being rescued also. And uh, let's just uh, move on with more handle on the news. Jennifer Jones-Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me.
3: And we now have a figure as to how many people tried to cross the border in June. 35,000.
2: You know, it's almost I'm hard to believe how many tens of thousands. And there have been years where it's north of 100,000. How, how, how do you arrest 40,000 people or 50,000 people in one year? And this
3: this is down. June is yeah. actually down.
2: So I don't know how they do it. May. And do they do it at the border itself? Do they do it uh, in the middle of Arizona, Texas, where they have to cross? They have to uh, pass these uh, the deserts. They have pass through the deserts, and uh, the, the horrible, horrible uh, physical encounters they have to deal with. You know, I mean, during the summer, people pass through the desert, and they're discovering bodies uh, left and right. The border patrol, these dried up, desiccated bodies.
0: And then you have the people, That's the activists, who try to leave water out there, and then they get arrested, aiding and abetting. Aiding, aiding, aiding yep. Yeah. Uh, the first lady of Honduras took a tour of a detention facility in McAllen, Texas, and then told the people of Honduras, uh, "You're better off stay in here. Don't go there." Back
2: where
1: yeah.
2: And Garcia Caries, uh, the wife of the president. And I'm going to, quote, stay in the country and let's look for solutions to
0: support you. Sure, lots of solutions. Hey, Honduras is only the second poorest country in Central America, Bill. Which it's only, it's only uh, about 61% of their population living in poverty. And what is the first? I would guess Guatemala. Maybe El Salvador. Maybe El Salvador. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, development here. And I don't think the Trump administration was that forward thinking that if they did all these things they're doing here and caused all this turmoil and we see these terrible pictures of children in detention centers that it might actually get the leaders of the countries down there to start actively discouraging their people from leaving i don't i don't I don't know if that's could so, be a deal they're, sort of brilliant it could, could they were could but, be a backroom that, but i deal. guess I mean this is about the first time yeah. we have seen. This big of a message from a foreign leader. I'll tell you what this smells
2: like. This smells like the United States offering aid uh, that then the uh, the president is going to steal uh, uh. to add to his coffers. And uh, that's sort of the way it goes. You know, the corruption down there is beyond comprehension. Money goes in and money goes out to Switzerland in numbered accounts.
3: Well, the White House Twitter account took a uh, very partisan turn on Monday.
1: It gets lonely in the White House when
3: you've been attacked. Going after
1: Kamala Harris
3: and Elizabeth Warren, the senators. Uh, At Senator Warren, why are you supporting criminals moving weapons, drugs, and victims across our nation's borders? You must not know what ICE really does. This
2: is in reference to uh, the call for the elimination of ICE. But interesting, it's a call for the bureaucracy. It's not, let's eliminate border control or border safety. I mean, and I
0: think it depends on who's saying it. I think there are a lot of people for whom the phrase abolish ICE means exactly that. Abolish enforcement of any of it.
2: Yeah, I don't know if uh, the senators uh, would go that. Well,
0: far. Kamala Harris has not said abolish it. She said reorganize yeah. it, and people inside the agency would like it to be reorganized. Yeah. But uh, Elizabeth Warren, I'm not sure exactly what her ultimate objective is.
3: I have an update for you on the next story, Wayne.
0: Oh, all right. You want me to say it first? Yeah. Okay. Well, so, uh, you know, there was that shooting at the newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland, and the mayor asked the White House to fly the flags at half-mast, and apparently the White House declined. Yep. Now, what's the latest?
3: The White House press secretary has just said this morning that the president intends to order the American flags lowered at the White House in honor of the journalist and said last night, as soon as the president heard about the request from the mayor, he ordered the flags to be lowered and a proclamation is supposed to go out momentarily. How
2: did we hear about the requests before the president heard about the request? You want to explain that one to me? Uh, And the story is that he declined. He said, no, thank you. And, of course, the argument is he was fine with uh, the uh, flags at half-mast in Santa Fe, uh, Texas, 10 people dead, Parkland, Florida, of course, uh, Las Vegas, Sutherland, Sutherland Springs, Texas. Uh, is there an
0: argument that he said no because this is the press? Well, that's, that's what's implied here. But right. the person who's saying he declined it is the mayor mm-hmm. of Annapolis.
3: But who knows how that— Who knows what that chain of command is? Right. You you don't know. know. And it could be
2: it could be that the president uh, really didn't hear about it, at least through official channels. Yeah. However, if the if but here's the plausibility of it, and that is if he's ever going to say no, it's going to be under the circumstances where the mainstream press is involved. You know it because the bias is already there.
0: Oh, He's, he's backed off that rhetoric of late. He's he is really he has toned it down. President Trump. I don't know why. Yeah,
2: I don't either. Maybe there just isn't a story out there in which he is attacked, uh, an ad hominem attack on on him, or at least the way he views it. Any attack is, of course, ad hominem. Okay.
3: We keep Harvey, uh, keep uh, following the Harvey Weinstein story. And I don't even know what ad
0: ad hominem means, by the way. Just let's go on. That was good, though. Isn't it the the stew with the corn? corn <laughs> yes. <rolls? Yeah. laughs>
3: Harvey Weinstein <laughs> could be eating ad hominem in prison sometimes, soon. <laughs>
2: indictment oh man he's going to spend a lot of years in jail Now he's
0: looking at potential life sentence yeah he'll get it they have upped it significantly because what they've done is they've added this predatory sexual assault which involves you have to have a pattern of conduct for this it it, there's only two sex crimes in the state of new york that are classified they call them class a two felonies the worst of the worst there's only two and this is one of them and they've dropped uh a charge of that on him. And in so, terms of pattern of actually, sex two crimes, charges of here's that. here's the
2: question. Is it a pattern of sex crimes in which he has been charged? No. Or a pattern of sex crimes simply having 56 women walk in there and testifying as to what happened to them, even though the statute
0: has been blown? Behavior, correct. Behavior constituting rape. Not you were charged or convicted, but they prove that you engaged in behavior constituting rape against someone other than the person in the charge that makes the pattern that makes the life it also opens the door for any number of other women to come in and testify ala cosby
3: my biggest question is how are they ever going to seat a jury on this case everybody oh, they knows do. about it oh, everybody no, they do. has that, an opinion by the way it
2: doesn't matter if they know about it the question that the jury is uh, a juror is asked is can you be objective about it and everybody lies <laughs> of course okay we'll, we'll be back uh more handle on the news coming up first Jennifer Jones.
3: So let's go
1: get on the the All
2: right, KFI to Handle here on a Tuesday, July 3rd. Uh, let's finish up Handle on the news. Jennifer Jones, Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. Oh, another one. Well,
0: now uh, old allegations are resurfacing of groping against... Justin Trudeau. Another one.
2: Yeah, this one, uh, particularly newsworthy because he is known as one of the great feminists uh, out there uh, and is very, very strong in terms of supporting women under these circumstances, the Me Too movement. Now, when did this happen? uh 18
0: years ago 18
2: years ago so now we're going to reach the point where you'll have uh people of note men who have are in the public eye who are going to be nailed for playing doctor with their kindergarten uh, buddies i'll show you mine if you show me yours well it happened when they were six doesn't matter doesn't matter. All he right. says he doesn't remember the uh, the incident. Yeah, which is a crock. He remembers being there, but doesn't remember the incident. Okay, let's just move on. Oh, not
3: another one! Well, wait till you hear this story. Comedian Andy Dick has been arrested in L.A.
2: Another one.
3: But this is because he was apparently walking down the street and... Uh, Made a lewd comment and squeezed a woman's behind yeah. on April 5th. But if you read further down, he admits that, look, he 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 does some stuff. He says he's a funny guy. He was fired from a film he was working on after co-workers accused him yeah. of groping, licking, and sexually propositioning them. And Andy goes, hey, look, sometimes I kiss people on the cheek and I lick them. That's my thing. Maybe. I'm just being funny.
2: All right, so uh, when he's arraigned, and he will be. Uh, the two things are going to happen. First of all, he's going to plead not guilty, and second of all, he's going to ask the judge if he can legally change his name.
0: <laughs> hey, Kim Jong Un wants North Korea to go completely labor-free. 11, wants to it. automate all. The- Labor in that oh, country. Thanks that's what God. he said. He was at a makeup factory uh, with his wife, oh. and that's when he said it. Yeah.
2: Thank goodness he's back to delusional. For a moment there, uh, he, we considered him like within the realm of reality. Thank you. Now he's back to crazy uh, craziness. No manual labor again ever. And uh, I guess I guess you can do it with factories. You can, uh, The r- technology r- exists. Can, it's but, whether he
0: can right. get
2: enough of it. Now, digging ditches out in, uh, the hinterlands out there, that's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? And even in an age of complete, total, uh, technology, I mean, you're, uh, how are you going to, for example, do electrical work inside of an old house or remodel, uh, just, uh, that's just a quick example. Uh, the guy's delusional. Uh,
3: well, from North okay. Korea to South Korea, still talking about working. But South Korea is cutting the maximum work limit from 68 hours a week to just 52.
2: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But that's uh, one of the reasons is South Korea, after the Korean War, which had a zero economy. I mean, the country was dead broke. And look how fast it became a world economy because of this kind of work ethic. And so they're saying just down to 52 hours a week, the maximum work limit for God's sake. Um, So, um, so now uh, South Koreans uh, work uh, average uh, 38.9 hours a week. Uh, You would think uh, we would uh, be higher than that, but we're not averaging that much is really very, very high.
0: Well, compared to Germany and Denmark, the average is 26 or 27 right. hours. And
2: early. in France, where the average is six and a half. <laughs> but let's not forget lunch. That's before lunch.
3: Mexico had the highest
0: 43.4. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of working too much, uh, a new study says working too many hours could increase a woman's risk of developing diabetes. <laughs> This is one of those association right. studies study with of statistics.
2: Study. You know how this all works is because when you're in a study, for example, uh, let's say exercise and heart disease, all right, which, of course, there's a huge connection. Well, the people in the study are asked just tons of questions. Are you diabetic? Do you ride bicycles, for example? right? Do you eat at McDonald's? And then they start connecting all of these statistics and come up with a study based on studies. And this is one of those.
0: And it did. It's just an associate. There's nothing here at all that proves a direct causation. But no. they said women who worked 45 hours or more a week had a 63% higher risk of getting diabetes than those who worked between 35 and 40 hours a week. Yes, we're all looking at you, Alex. <laughs> yeah. But it, as always, the most logical explanation is there are other things that are more common with women who work that much. Things about their lifestyles or things about th- true. their it's psychology. True. And it's not that doing that causes that. It's that if you tend to do that thing, you mm. also tend to do other things. Right, precisely. People who are uh,
2: vegetarians, for example, have more of a lifestyle. Uh, Or people that live in Seattle, for example, are going to live longer lives. Why? Because uh, Whole Foods is there. And uh, that's where they shop, in every corner. So therefore, uh, it's organic. Or There's another one. You buy organic food. You go across the street. I had lunch there the other day. You cannot get a Diet Coke. And uh, so I got one of their crazy-ass organic colas. I damn near threw it up. It was the most (laughs) disgusting thing I've ever... uh, It was weasel pee. It was that bad wow, wow. how would you know wow. well that's pres- well now i know now i have more questions but we don't <laughs> have time okay uh i think we're done guys all right how the boys the t- those thai boys in the cave uh how they were rescued how they were found and the difficulty in uh, getting them out of that cave uh that's going to be a tough one and i'll share that with you this is kfi am 640 morning july 3rd with the morning crew big stories that we are covering today is uh the horrible news that uh the little three-year-old birthday girl in uh boise idaho in fact did die uh this the accused attacker timmy Kinner, uh came into that birthday party uh, with a knife and attacked Uh, nine people were attacked and uh we knew that well afraid that one of them was going to die because of such injuries and the little three-year-old did and uh, then the Lancaster mother and her boyfriend, accused of torturing and murdering the 10-year-old, uh, have not yet entered uh, pleas, both charged with murder. Now, uh, the man is, oh, uh, Baron is also charged with torture. The woman, they've added that. All right. Now, let's go to some really good news for a change. And that is uh, the finding of the missing Thai boys soccer team. Uh, Twelve boys and their soccer coach missing in the cave in Thailand have been found uh, trapped in a flooded cave. Um, They were stuck uh, basically without food or drinking water and didn't have much survival gear. It was dark, and certainly they were scared for their lives, but rescue teams just refused to give up. Nine days after they disappeared, they were found alive. And uh, this was an operation involving in the thousands of people, uh, Thai Navy SEAL divers, a U.S. military team, British cave experts, of which one of them found the boys, Chinese first responders, volunteer workers from around the world. The boys were age, or are our age, 11 to 16, and uh, the coach is 25 years old. Uh, after a soccer game, they were going to celebrate and do this little hike, uh, through the caves, bicycles uh, stood at the entrance to the cave, so they knew where they were, and uh, they were thought to be caught in the flooded cave, a uh, popular tourist attraction in the reason, and families reported the boys did not come back from the team practice. They knew where they were. Inevitably, they knew the waters were rising, and uh, the authorities figured out pretty quickly this is what happened, and they were right. So, the rescue operations begin, and they first started with pumps, because if it was waters that uh, stopped uh, or that effectively trapped the boys, then and there was rising water, the answer is, get the water out. And so, these massive pumps were put in, but because it had been raining for part of it and continued to rain, the pumps only slowed down the water that was rising. So... I'm going to give you a timeline here to see what happens. All right, June 23rd, the kids disappear. The next day, the rescue operation begins, and then the pumps are being brought in to decrease the water level. The next day, June 25th, the deputy governor of the of the province tells reporters he's confident the soccer team is alive. Now, whether he was just doing that for public consumption where he really thought they were alive, or a combination of the two, uh, that was uh, a great uh, comment. The kids are athletes, he said. They have skills. They're alert all the time. They're always active. Uh, They will survive by continuing to move. And Thai soldiers were carrying equipment inside the flooded cave, not that it reached the boys. All right, next day or next couple of days, June 27, the heavy rainfall comes in. Uh, The underground passages are flooding faster than the rate they're able to be pumped out. And uh, they're flooding at the rate of uh, six inches per hour they're rising. Bad news there. The next day, June 28th, a U.S. military team and British cave experts join the Thai Navy to help with the search. And the divers continue to face some very tough conditions. Because they had sort of an idea where the boys would be. And they had to, underwater, uh, the divers had to fit their bodies around L shaped bends in the passageway. Remember, it's pitch black. And then crews are searching for shafts from the surface of the mountain. Maybe it's another way of getting into the blocked parts of the cave. Next day, June 29, another setback. Three rescuers near the entrance uh, suffer electric shocks because of jury-rigged electrical lines to power the lights and pump. July 1, the water levels fall. Navy SEAL divers pass through the chamber where the floodwaters had previously cut their efforts, and they're moving along with a rope line, extra oxygen tanks, and they're enlarging the passageway. Next day, July 2, they're found alive. A British diver comes up out of the murk, a creature of the Black Lagoon kind of thing, and sees the boys, and uh, man, what a miracle. Now, it's getting them out of there. That's going to be the tough one. Okay, coming up, let's change uh, gears a little bit and talk about, let's get here locally, the uh, migrant sponsors here. Remember we told you, or I told you, that the separated families—it's a question of the, of sponsors coming in and getting there. And there's both good news, there's necessary news, and then there is—come on, are you really doing this to people? And I'll share that with you. This is KFI Jennifer Jones. The tiger, the fire, fire, KFI j- handle here on a uh, Tuesday. Some of the big stories that we're covering. Uh, the great news is that Thai soccer team, the twelve boys and their coach, <laughs> were found coughing. Um, you all right? For uh, yeah, I don't know why. It the Diet Coke. I drink it too quickly, and you know what happens. And my ham and cheese on a baguette, which of course uh, gets in the way. I hate this show getting in the way of my breakfast.
3: Do you ever bring anything other than ham and cheese baguette?
2: Yeah, yesterday I bought steak and cheese on a baguette. Whoa.
3: Slow your roll.
2: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway, that's uh, the big news. Then we're going to be doing a lot more, too. All right. Now, uh, more on uh, the immigration issue. And this is a, a sidebar story, which on the one hand, the Trump administration is doing everything completely right. And on the other hand, it makes absolutely no sense what they're doing. And uh, this has to do with the sponsors of kids that are held in detention. For the most part, uh, the, 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 the ones that came here without an adult. And we're talking about 11,000 children and teenagers currently housed in up to 100 government uh, contracted facilities across the country. And as you can imagine, the numbers are growing pretty quickly because it's a zero tolerance policy and there is no more catch and release under which uh, you have people going free, pending hearings in the immigration courts, which means, of course, they never show up. Now, uh, here's what uh, has to happen, and this makes all the sense. The Office of Refugee Settlement establishes conditions for releasing these kids, and uh, they're making it tougher for sponsors to come in. Of course, the biggest tough part is that they are arresting illegal alien sponsors and uh, deporting them. So that uh, is a little bit of a crimp. But uh, what they demand that happens is that the sponsors have to prove who they are. Uh, They have to prove that they're working, that they can support the kid, that there is a a legitimate connection because they're afraid of traffickers which makes all the sense in the world. So there's an entire list of requirements that have to be made and or that has to be met, including, and they want utility bills, they want to make sure there's a good job, they want to make sure, I mean, this whole list to protect the children, which actually makes a lot of sense, other than if you show up and you're illegal to pick up the kid, you're going to be arrested. That is a problem, and it used to not happen. The deportation order or the arrest of those illegal immigrants who went and picked up these children, the sponsors, some family members, some not, as long as there was a connection. Uh, the Obama administration, for example, waived the the arrest uh, part of this. Okay, which makes sense, incidentally, because otherwise you're not going to get sponsors. Now, why is it that it's important to get sponsors out as quickly as possible? $600 a day for each of those kids, up to $1,000 a day in certain circumstances Uh, if a provider has to absorb new children on short notice. right? One of these centers has to open up, up to $1,000. And so you would think that they would make it, within reason, as easy as possible. Here's the one that I don't understand, and that is they don't let people come in on buses. You can't take a kid out on a bus. It's airfare. And the sponsor has to... Come up with the money. Now, you're talking in many cases, poor families. There aren't too many wealthy families that are sponsoring these kids coming up from Guatemala or Honduras or El Salvador or Mexico. And so family members of illegal alien, especially unaccompanied minors, are not wealthy people. There are very few CEOs that have a niece or a nephew or a child that's come over the border illegally. So the demand not only is to meet all the requirements, which eh, they make a lot of sense, but then to pay for airfare. Now, wouldn't it make more sense for the government just to try to check for airfare since it's costing $600 a day and the kid just stays in detention until the family can come up with the money, the sponsor, which means it could be weeks. They're out there borrowing money. They're making application to a nonprofit, for example. Well, they're not going to turn around and just write a check, the nonprofit. There's going to be a vetting process there. And it just is cheaper to let them throw them on a bus, or even better, the government pay for it. You know, the government pays for deportation. Did you know that? If someone is deported in this country, let's say it's Central America— they're not deported to the other side of the border border in Mexico. They're flown. And the government pays for that. And so the government not paying for the, the airfare of these kids or the sponsor coming to pick up the children. And it has to be uh, the kid obviously has to have an escort. So it's uh, two airfare. But at the same time, once the decision is made, once the child is deemed to be released... To a sponsor, and keep in mind there's 11,000 of these kids now sitting there in detention. And we're not talking about the, the separation of the families issue because there are no families here to separate. Right, The only family connection is somewhere in the United States. And so you would think that the government would make it as easy as possible to get those kids, teenagers, youngsters, into the hands of sponsors. Nope. You get to come up with the money. And it's getting tougher and tougher. We want utility bills. We want leases. We want. What happens if it turns out that you have a family member who is illegal, and they're the only ones you can get, and they don't have the kind of proof? Now, if obviously, I don't know where the line is. I don't know where, whether you say you don't meet the requirements. But you would think the government would be doing everything that it can to get those kids out of detention. Now, the Office of Refugee uh, is uh, saying that we are doing everything well. Uh, the Office of Refugee Settlement maybe is not. There is more they can do: pay for the air for airfare, maybe make it a little less strenuous, strenuous or onerous for this to happen. Certainly not arresting sponsors that come forward. At a certain point, you simply say, under these circumstances, we will not arrest. Under these circumstances, we will not share any information. Much like the IRS. You know the IRS doesn't share any information with anybody? You're an illegal alien. The IRS knows you're an illegal alien and will not call ICE. They will not contact anybody because they want their money. And that's part of the government policy. You would think... That part of the government policy here is the Office of Refugee uh, Resettlement would say we won't arrest anybody who's illegal that meets the criterion for taking these kids, and we will pay for airfare. Oh, of course not. Why should that happen? I don't know how much of it. I don't know how much of it is the Trump administration being the Trump administration, or simply bureaucracy of the government, which happens as a matter of course, or. And that's probably this case, a combination of the two of them. All right, coming up, Supreme Court justice interviews are underway. It's a big deal because uh, we're going to have a nominee uh, in six days, according to the president. KFI AM 64. So show me what I'm
1: looking for.
2: KFI handle here. On a uh, Tuesday, uh, some of the uh, big stories that we're covering—they found the kids of the Thai soccer team, which is wonderful—and uh, then some of the bad news, uh, and that is uh, the about the Capital Gazette. Uh, there's a whole story about uh, whether the American flags are going to be lowered to a half staff. And uh, the un- the really unfortunate news is the stabbing in Boise. We knew someone was going to die. Those four kids were. Uh, had life-threatening injuries, a three-year-old, the one whose birthday party was and the youngest. Uh, she ended up dying yesterday. All right. Uh, the president is now interviewing uh, Supreme Court candidates. And, uh, of course, uh, you've got uh, uh, liberals. You have the people that are pro-choice have gone berserk on this one, which I don't know why. Uh, you've got uh, Susan Collins, uh, who is a Republican senator, who's saying, you know what? You uh, you put it on someone who is uh, going to go against Roe v. Wade. Uh, I'm not going to vote. Here's the problem. Anybody that Trump puts in the place, anybody that Trump nominates is going to be against Roe v. Wade and will overturn it. It's not that complicated. The president said during the campaign, it's going to happen. I'm going to be putting justices on there that are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And now it's hilarious. That I don't even know where the discussion is. Well, I'm not going to do a litmus test. I'm not going to ask any candidate, what do you think of Roe v. Wade? Because no candidate, uh, Supreme Court uh, potential nominee, is ever going to say anything. They're going to say, Mr. President, this is a subject that is going to come up, and I'm not going to tell you how I am going to vote on this. That is inappropriate. But it doesn't matter. Because if you look at all of the justices, the potential nominees, everyone is so conservative that there is almost no issue. A couple of them, right? One of them, and I forgot the name, said uh, Roe v. Wade was the worst abomination in the history of the Supreme Court. What do you think that person is going to go to? What do you think he's going to say? Or any of the other justices? And there is a legitimate argument about Roe v. Wade, I must tell you. Uh, Because nowhere in the Constitution does it talk about uh, privacy, because it's all about privacy. That's just not constitutional. And this is where Scalia came in and probably did the best job of describing, uh, analyzing what the Constitution is about. And, of course, it has to do with a a justice being an originalist looking at a narrow interpretation of uh, the Constitution versus a very broad interpretation of the Constitution. This is where you get activist judges and tell you one thing that Trump is going to do is there will be no Dave Souters out there anymore. David Souter put on the bench. He was a conservative. Boy, did he shock everybody. Kennedy became a swing vote. He was a conservative that was put a conservative justice. Earl Warren is really the granddaddy of all this, put on the bench because it was a Republican president who put Earl Warren on the bench. And Warren started the most activist court in the history of the United States. Miranda warnings, uh, Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, I and I don't know if the pornography cases were under Earl Warren. Uh, and, eh, I'm trying to remember if they were. I'm getting a timeline here. But I'll tell you, among the justices here, man, there is no issue. Roe v. Wade is gone, gone. It'll go back to the states, and then and then what happens? is abortion now becomes a huge election issue. We're back to that. You can't say, you won't hear candidates who are anti-abortion argue that they're anti-abortion candidates because the argument was all, this is settled law. And as much as I don't like abortion, this is settled law. Now let's move on to something that we can deal with. That's going to be thrown out the window. Now abortion is coming back with a vengeance when we're talking about uh elections, senators, congresspeople. Uh it's uh going to be even uh state electors or even uh state nominees for uh for state office. I mean, it's going to go crazy. It really is. And I'll tell you what's also very unusual about this particular nomination is going to happen by July. Ninth, a couple of weeks after uh, the announcement that Kennedy was going to retire. Oh, is uh, Trump just going balls to the wall here and jumping the gun? He is not. He is not. Interestingly enough, because he has no experience with justices, understands the magnitude of a decision that he is making. Because while he can change his mind, which he does and flips back and forth, not with a Supreme Court justice. Once that justice is on the bench, it's over no more decisions, that's it, it's in stone. And so he understands the gravity of his decision, the legacy part of it, and so from the day he became president, he started gathering information and asking conservative organizations for help in determining who is a potential nominee, who is qualified, what their politics are, because even though, oh, politics are not involved, who are we kidding all right, coming up now, Patriotism and God. This one gets interesting because tomorrow, July 4th, you're going to see a uh, lot, and I mean a whole lot of pastors out there talking about uh, the birthday of the United States. And there is a very interesting conflict going on. I'll share that with you. KFI, Jennifer Jones. My
3: youth, my youth is yours. The truth's so loud, you can't ignore my youth. My
2: youth. Handle here on a Tuesday morning. Some of the big stories that we're covering the big story around the world is that Thai soccer team uh, that was trapped in the cave in Thailand has been found, which is uh, absolutely terrific news. A couple things that we're going to be doing a little later on, too. Tactical Tuesday uh, with uh, North Korea denuclearization. Oh, sure. I'll bet that. And uh, then 9.50, you don't want to miss this one, one of my favorite topics that I do over and over again through the course of the last, I don't know, decades, death, your death, how you're going to die. For some reason, I'm totally obsessed with people dying, particularly you, not so much me. All right. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. I I want to do something uh, other than the topic that I was going to do uh, because uh, this one came up and... um, my, my head was going in that direction. It has to do with younger workers. And uh, this is not so much uh, you. It's probably your kids more than you. But uh, it's a major concern. So running out of uh, money, uh, and particularly if you're kind of older, you're in trouble uh, for sure. If you haven't uh, done a good job of uh, deciding how you're going to save your money, pension plans, 401ks, that sort of thing. Uh, and if you think it's just Social Security that's going to do it, boy, you are in trouble. I'll give you a dumpster area where you can live. So, um, 67% of millennials are actually concerned about outliving their retirement savings and should be two-thirds saying, am I going to live too long? Am I going to run out of money? Considering that 66% haven't begun even building next next uh, nest eggs, Man, that is a problem. So you look at everything that's, look at the combination. This is a perfect storm, okay? Social security is going to run out, and it's a guarantee that you are going to get less than what I'm going to get when I retire. It's that simple. The only way to make social security uh, work is either much higher social security taxes, which is always difficult to do, or simply cut benefits. That's one. Number two is pensions, for the most part, are history. You could be working here at iHeart for the next 25 years. There is no pension. It used to be that companies gave enormous pensions. Gone, unless you work for the state or a government. Then you get pensions up the yin-yang. But if you're in the private sector, no pensions. All right? Add that the fact you're going to live a whole lot longer than people used to live. I mean, you go, well, let's go out through history. What was it uh, even at the turn of the last century? Uh 55, 60 was uh, your life expectancy, right? And today it's the average is what 85? I mean, people just live way too long. Caveman days, you were, what, at 12 you were dead? You had to get married at 8, have kids, and then you died? It's a lot like a praying mantis. You know, it's around three weeks later, your mate has eaten you, and you're done. Uh, That's the way it used to be during the caveman time, so it's very different. So you look at this perfect storm, Social Security, no pension, living a lot longer, so... And two-thirds of millennials haven't even begun building their nest egg in the sea. Of course, the super secret of retirement is you start as early as you can. You know, I tell my kids constantly, you're now 23. You have to start putting money away for your retirement. They look at me and ask, what planet am I on? Because 23-year-olds just don't even think that way. But let's say you start at age 30 or even 35 and you're really working at putting money away for your retirement, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Matter of fact, you're going to be rich. And what's your definition of rich? Well, let's quickly go around. Uh, Jen, what's your definition of rich?
3: Uh, Enough money that I don't have to worry about it.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh, Alex, well, you're a kid. What's your definition of rich? I know, $14 an hour instead of 10 Ouch. No, I get that.
1: Uh, don't spoil me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I agree with Jen. Basically enough money that I don't have to be afraid yep. the next day. You know? Okay.
2: And uh, there's uh, John. What's your definition of rich? And he has no idea because the thought of being rich for John is beyond comprehension. Randall. What is your definition of rich, John? Uh, the other two. Agreed. Okay. Jen's idea. All right. And uh, let me give you my definition of rich, all right, which I think is legitimate, and that is you quit working tomorrow, and your lifestyle doesn't change for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's fair. And it doesn't matter whether it's $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year or whatever your lifestyle is, and you can maintain it forever. You don't have to drop your lifestyle. You don't have to be more careful. It stays the same or gets better, depending on the investment uh, situation that you have. That's rich. Can you do that? Oh yeah, but can you do that if you're starting in your 40s or 50s? Oh no! And what's happening, and this is what this story is about, is uh, people are getting younger and younger and worrying about retirement, not necessarily doing anything about it, but worrying about it as well. They should. You're all gonna live in a dumpster. I'm telling you right now. Social Security. I mean, I'm telling you, you're gonna you're gonna be dumpster diving for dinner.
3: That's why, honestly, when we plan for retirement, we don't plan for Social Security. We just that's leave it good, out.
2: That's a very good point, where Social Security simply becomes additive. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, coming up, the Chilean minor story and how it connects to the Thai team. And a lot of it has to do with how does just someone survive under these circumstances? I'll share that with you. Uh, this is KFI AM 640. Hi. Hi. Tuesday morning, July 2, Uh, in uh, this era and the last several weeks of extraordinarily bad news that I've been bringing to you and we've all been paying attention to, uh, we occasionally get a story that we can all celebrate, and that's exactly what happened with uh, the 12 boys and uh, their soccer coach in Thailand. Uh, They were found yesterday safe and sound in that cave in Thailand. And it was uh, it was a rescue attempt for sure. I mean, just to get there was a nightmare. And uh, it was a group of British divers who going through these underwater caves, which were full of debris and l- turns, uh, just really sharp turns as you go uh, as you go around. And by the way, it's pitch black in there. Uh, and so uh, finally coming up, out of uh, one of these underwater, I guess, pools of this dirt water, you know, keep in mind, very dark water, uh, up comes uh, a diver, like the creature of the Black Lagoon, and there are the boys. And uh, they are safe. They're hungry. They're thinner, but they are safe. So now comes the rescue. And probably the most difficult and last resort is taking them out the way the divers discovered them. Why? Because they have to follow the same path. And that is going underwater with scuba tanks and turning these curves, and there is debris, and it's not a short trip. And uh, the divers have said, the rescuer saying, you know, this is going to be very tough. It's tough for experienced divers. All you need is one of these kids... Panicking, and now we're talking about certainly the death of the kid, maybe the diver, and so they're being very, very cautious. They're trying to drill holes and do anything, but it may end up that that's exactly the way the rescue is going to occur. Certainly, the rescuers rescuers hope not, and so uh, what I want to do is spend a minute or two talking about what was going through their mind, or at least we're guessing. And a topic that we know about, and that is the Chilean miner story. Remember that? When the Chilean miners were, I think it was 69 days, they were trapped underground. We know what happened then. We're going to find out what the psychological circumstances were around the boys uh, being trapped for uh, 10 days. It was dark. Uh, There was a leader and that is the coach. So as far as leadership was concerned, probably there wasn't much discussion, and probably there was good discipline. When it comes to what happened with the Chilean minors, uh, that was a whole different story. So as we're going to find out, if we ever do, about uh, the psychological aspects and what it was like for the boys, uh, let's talk about... Well, first of all, let me go back and uh, talk about why they were reasonably healthy. Uh, First of all, did they have water? Probably. And we don't even know. There's water dripping down. Uh, It was raining a lot, and they had water dripping down from the rocks above. Uh, The other thing that saved them probably was the temperature. Uh, The temperature never reached, for example, 60 degrees. It was reasonably comfortable out there because the caves in Thailand are about the same temperatures as what the outside temperature is, and it's warm over there. Come in the United States, you go into one of those caves, one of these caves, and now you're below 60 degrees, and hypothermia is going to check in pretty quickly. So uh, let me now bring you over to what happened with the buried Chilean miners because here is a lot of psychology, and we'll see if we can compare. Because keep in mind, the Chilean miners, uh, 33 of them were trapped underground for 69 days. And they were battling starvation, and they were battling hopelessness. And uh, what I, probably the worst thing that the boys had undergone is the fact it was dark. Lost track of time, because that's what happens. And a sense of hopelessness. Are we ever going to be rescued? Well, certainly we know that's precisely what happened with the Chilean miners. When the mine collapsed, and it was simply just a question of time. This uh, mine was 100 years old, and a century of working uh, uh, on it had basically worn away all the structure. And uh, what happened was uh, that the mine just collapsed The miners heard an explosion. They were enveloped in dust. Uh, The ramps, and they had safety ramps to get out of there. Those all collapsed, and there was a single block of rock, as tall as a 45-story building, broke off from the rest of the mountain and went right through the layers of the mine, and that was blocking them up. Can you imagine? Uh, 550 feet tall, weighing twice the weight of the Empire State Building. That's what they had to deal with. So how did they deal with it? What was going on? Well, I'm going to at least share that with you before we find out find out what the 12 boys went through. So I'll be back with that. KFI, let's check in with uh, Jennifer Jones Lee. KFI handle here. It is a uh, Tuesday, July 3rd, uh, one day before the birthday of our nation. And some of the, uh, well, the biggest story that we're following is that the Thai soccer team has been found and is about to be rescued. Which may take a while because um, they don't quite know how to do it yet. Uh, The last resort is rescuing them. By the way they were found and that is underwater scuba gear going through uh, these passageways in the dark all right so uh, the comparison here as we're trying to figure out what actually was going on in their minds what physically happened uh the comparison here is the chilean miners which we know all about them and what happened over the 69 days and how it was so devastating to them because they didn't know that they were going to be rescued. didn't They knew that uh, the authorities, their families, that they were somewhere down there and the mine had collapsed. But can you imagine? And it was probably not 69 days. It was probably into day 60 or in the days 50s before they even heard anything in terms of rescue attempts. When they heard the drilling or heard the tapping. So up till then... Uh, there they are alone and it was lord of the flies at least with the uh the Thai uh boys there was their coach so there was no issue and we're going to probably find that out because we have almost no information right now there is probably going to be no issue in terms of leadership well inside the chilean cave there was a big issue of leadership and uh and uh Dividing up the food. They didn't know how long they were there. They had very little food. Uh, as a matter of fact, they uh, went into the refuge, which is a classroom-sized steel-reinforced safe room that uh, is there to keep people, to keep minors safe if a collapse happens. And it has enough food in there uh, to uh, feed 25 men for two days. There were 33 that were there for 69 days. One can of salmon, one can of peaches, one can of peas, 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, eight, spo- uh, eight of them were spoiled, and 93 packages of cook- uh, cookies. Lots of cookies. And 10 bottles of water, although there was plenty of water keeping the engines of the machinery cool. It was dirty, it was oily, but it was drinkable. Food rationing, very, very harsh. And it got to the point where they were so hungry that several days or several weeks into this, uh, there was the rumbling of their stomachs. And some of them actually uh, mistook the sound of the mountain collapsing, more collapsing. And then the smell, Uh, men sleeping in the refuge, the scent begins to gather and cook. And as one of the miners said, Transforming the air into a stew of body odor, and he said, "I've smelled corpses before, and it smelled worse than that." The men actually a society began to uh, to be created. The men held uh, daily prayer meetings. They played checkers using a board made from cardboard. Dominoes, uh, one miner created by pulling apart and cutting up a white plastic frame. That was uh, the traffic hazard triangle in the uh, truck. Uh, They occasionally think they heard drilling. Probably not. It was more of hope against hope. And uh, above ground, there were potential rescuers had descended uh, 2.8 miles, and they were stopped by this massive rock monolith. And seeing it, one of the rescuers began crying knowing that his colleagues were doomed and that these building size slabs were still shifting, making uh, a new collapse possible any moment. And it was very, very tough. The Chilean media put the miners' chances for survival at less than 2%. After two weeks, a lot of them were having trouble walking. Ribs began sticking out through their skin. Now, uh, the sound of the daily drilling they could hear But still, they had no idea if a rescue could even occur. Just enough food to give each man one cookie every two days. And then that stretched out to three days. And at one point, there was a single slice of peach about the size of a thumb that was found divided into 33 slivers about the size of a fingernail. One of the men had temporary blindness and it was so tough for them. And they were able to, the rescuers were able to put in a drill hole finally reaching them that was four and a half inches round, four and a half inches in diameter. And down came food and water and lights. And then it was just a question of time when they were able to be rescued. And if you remember that, it was carried around the world. They had finally dug a hole big enough, 28 inches across, and they were able to have built uh, sort of a cage that the miners could get into and be lifted up. And it was, what, a day before they got all 33 out? And so the first one, of course, it was carried around the world. By number 33, everybody was so bored, no one paid attention. It's like the lunar moonwalk, right? The first lunar uh, expedition. Neil Armstrong. Who were the astronauts on the second one? Does anybody have any idea? Or the fourth one? Anybody have any idea? Precisely. No one cared by number 30 or 31. I wonder if they drew straws. I'll bet you they did to see who was going up first. How else can they do it? I mean, there's... Yeah, I mean, what's, what, are they going to have a fight? I'm first? No, I'm first? So it was pretty exciting. So uh, this one, we're going to follow the rescue attempts on this one because this is going to take days to figure out because the last thing uh, the rescuers want to do in this Thai rescue of the boys is take them underwater, which seems at this point to be the only uh, answer, the only avenue. And uh, they're saying, oh, no, no, no. Coming up, Handle on the News, Late Edition. This is KFI Jennifer Jones.
0: Handle on the News, Late Edition.
1: Handle on the News! Bill Handle
0: himself gave us the flu shot. He redeemed us from the curse of flu. Flu, I bind you off of the people in the name of Bill Handle. And we receive it and we take it. We are healed by... Bill Handel. Stripes.
1: Flu, I bind you off of the people in the name of... Bill Handel. And now, here's Bill Handel.
2: K.F.I. Handel here, and uh, good morning On a rather momentous Tuesday, especially if you're in Thailand, uh, the Thai soccer team, 12 boys and their coach were found alive yesterday. Good for them. And uh, also uh, just uh, other sort of good news, I guess. Trump begins the Supreme Court justice interviews. If you happen to want to kill anybody that undergoes an abortion, uh, that's fine. Yeah, it's... uh, let me tell you, the anti-abortion folks are happy campers. But they should have been happy campers the minute that President Trump was elected. Because we knew where it was going to go. No question about it. And was uh, that's simply part and parcel of what that election was about. All right. Uh, now, why don't we start going into handle on the news late edition? What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. Lead story. It's been a long day. The uh, memorial service Without for Captain Dave friend. Rosa. Uh, who was killed uh, responding to a fire at uh, the retirement home in Long Beach. Uh, he, uh, there's going to be a, a service today, and I can't even imagine how many people are going to show up. But just to give you where, it's going to be held at
3: the Long Beach Convention Center. And it's probably going to be standing room only. The procession procession starts at 9. The actual service starts at 10. And remember, even uh, JetBlue got involved in this. They offered free flights to two firefighters from every department across the country who wanted to come.
2: How many tens of thousands of fire departments are there across the United we, States? We
3: need to do a follow-up story on that because I'm just so curious how many yeah. companies actually took them up on this. Well, the president has ordered flags to fly at half-staff after that shooting at the newsroom in Maryland.
2: yep. According to the mayor of Annapolis, he made uh, the personal appeal to the White House, and according to him, it was rejected. And uh, then uh, the president changed his mind uh, this morning, uh, saying that uh, flags will be lowered to half mass on public buildings, military posts, naval vessels, embassies abroad,
0: and other locations until sunset this evening. See, or, I, or he didn't change his mind. Yeah. He, maybe the president, never said no.
3: See, that's what I think. Because why would he go ahead and do it for all these other mass shootings, but then randomly because when this mayor reaches no, out, he says no?
2: It wouldn't be random. This is a news outlet.
3: But still, and I, I'm it's telling still a you, mass shooting.
2: Uh, I don't think it matters. I think, I'm going to argue the president did no. And it was. It's a, this is a fake news outlet. This is part of mainstream news. And uh, therefore, I think there's at least an argument. And it's, it's, I'm based on what I know about President Trump, I'm willing to bet that it was a personal, let's make a decision right now. And then an advisor or two said, Mr. President, maybe you want to go the other way on this because the optics of this, because you've had some issues with optics these days that don't look so good.
0: Well, uh, Scott it. EPA head, was eating at a restaurant in Washington, D.C when he was confronted by a woman carrying her two-year-old son. Of course. And somebody's videoing it, and she also had notes. Yeah. Which is interesting because... How did she know he was going to well, be there? Yes, unless notes. she's some... there. I think there are people who are uh, upset enough about things in the Trump administration that maybe they walk around with notes Hoping at the it. ready yep. just in case. <clears throat> so she came up to him and she basically said, uh, this is my son, and uh, he likes animals and breathing clean air and drinking clean water. And by the way, you've got a lot of scandals, and you should resign before your scandals push you out. And he was, uh, and this has been across the board. All the Trump administration people have been very gracious
2: about uh, not talking back, not saying anything. If it were me, I'd scream at the top of my lungs, then move to Yemen and get the hell out of the way. Uh, But then again, that's probably why I'm not in government. And it was, um, you know, there's something new that I've never heard about this, and that is... Uh, individuals harassing Trump administration uh, administration officials, stopping them from having dinner, harassing them as they go into a movie uh, theater. Come on, guys. Really? I mean, it's, is it a new low? Is that where it's going to go? How about fist fights? You know, how about just taking punches at these people, which, of course, you'll be arrested instantly as well you should, but it's. Uh, It's just uh, it's going to it's gotten to a new low.
3: Funny, because that leads us right into a Maxine Waters story where the president is still going after her after she canceled events over death threats.
2: And here's Maxine Waters helping the president and his policy as much as anybody can. It's it, it couldn't be better for the Trump administration if they had run an ad asking for the Democratic legislature to say stuff like this, legislator. Uh, and, uh, of course, he writes back. This is when she said confront the administration officials. Yeah, go she's to the telling people to do now what is happening. Right. Go for it. Uh, confront them. Don't, don't allow them to go into the theaters. I mean, just crazy stuff. I don't know if she said that specifically, but certainly harass them and confront them. And Donald Trump writes at real Donald Trump. Crazy Maxine Waters, said by some to be one of the most corrupt people in politics, is rapidly becoming, together with Nancy Pelosi, the face of the Democrat Party. Boy, for the Democrats, I hope not. The last thing they need is Maxine Waters to be their spokesperson. Her ranting and raving, true, even referring to herself as a wounded animal, don't know if she did or not, will make people flee the Democrats not going to make people flee the democrats what it's going to do is make the independents look at her and if they connect her to the democratic party they're going to go this is nuts this is a crazy woman really and she's a leader in the democratic party all right take a break come back Uh, we've got more Right, we're back. Handle and the morning crew as uh, we finish Handle on the News, late edition. Jennifer Jones, Lee, Wayne Resnick, and me. And Brian Ross is out
0: at, at uh, ABC. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you may remember uh, he was suspended after he really botched a report about uh, Michael Flynn and President Trump and whether or not Michael Flynn was
2: ordered by yeah, the president. what was
0: ordered by the president to contact Russians, and they so they suspended him. Then they brought him back, and they put him in a different division. Now they're firing him. Well.
2: He said he's leaving, but. Uh, he
0: said he and his longtime producer are, quote, uh, packing up. They've decided to pack up and move on, so they're yeah. at least letting him Pretend if they're yeah. not firing him, they're letting him pretend it's his idea. Yeah. And it could be, I don't know, what position did they give him after he was taken? Oh, off? they put him over in this uh, subsidiary called Lincoln Square Productions. The offices are not even in the main All right. ABC. So, and, so and he, he was supposed leave. to work on long form projects, which is another way yeah. of saying
2: well, Dan Rather well, got nailed for a 60 yeah. Minutes report with uh, President Bush. Yep. And uh, that cost him his job at CBS.
3: The Abolish ICE movement has gained a little steam in Congress after the primaries. Where to your mother.
2: Yeah, there's uh, some sort of left-wing Congress people out there making the move. We were talking earlier about whether the, uh, the Abolish ICE movement is about either reorganizing ICE and just leaving the enforcement of uh, the illegal immigrants, the enforcement laws, to one division— And then separating out the criminal aspects, the narco-traficantes, the smuggling, that sort of thing. Versus what's happening here, and this is the new uh, congressperson, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a democratic socialist. And uh, she, uh, I think those people are calling for the
0: absolute abolishment. Just stop enforcing border security. Just let them in. Well, it's the only answer because it is, uh, if I understand it, it's inhumane. To separate the children from the parents. And there's an argument there. And it's inhumane to keep the families detained for too long. That's inhumane. And it's also inhumane to build a wall to prevent the need to figure out what to do with the families. And so the only thing that is humane apparently... Is to not enforce these laws at and all. Just and it's probably inhumane to just have them on the books, even if you don't enforce them. Makes sense to me.
3: Well, yeah, because that's what I want to say. She keeps calling for the abolishment of ICE, but yet what is her answer?
0: Uh, well, some What's people, are calling, well, there we are, some people are calling... You know what her answer is. No borders. No borders. Right. That's her answer. She called ICE a terrorist organization. That's women wow. Yeah, good for her. Oh, hey, uh... The White House wants you to know that although they will not reveal anything about who the president is interviewing for Supreme Court nominations and whether or not there will be a litmus test uh, regarding Roe v. Wade, or they will not let you know whether the president thinks John McCain should resign before he gets to vote on the nominee, they do want you to know that the president does not like abortions. Yeah. Don't you love the
2: right. However, here. However, he's not asking... He said there is no litmus test, although he said there was a litmus test test when he was running. And uh, so who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? There will be a Planned Parenthood brochure in the Oval Office. And if the nominee doesn't spit on it, then uh, there will be no nomination. But we're not going to ask. I mean, why is there even a discussion of which way the judges are going to go. The justice is going to go. Why, why didn't even bring it up? We know what's going to happen with
0: Roe v. Wade.
2: I mean, it's an easy, easy, easy question uh, to
0: answer. Jeffrey Tubin was making the rounds on the, the news programs. And the anchors would ask him, like, so do you think that now, you know, Roe v. Wade may, may be in some danger? And every time he would said, uh, Roe v. Wade is dead. Roe v. Wade is definitely dead. He, he is 100% convinced that within 18 months, Roe v. Wade I is I agree overturned. with you. However, there are spins on it.
3: Iowa is looking at what could become the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, but it won't be one of the states with the longest waiting periods for abortion. abortion. Yeah, now keep in mind, uh, at this point...
2: There is uh, a 72-hour waiting period, which has become the law. And uh, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, the uh, the Iowa Supreme Court struck it down uh, saying that what it really is is too restrictive on women because they have to show up twice with the waiting period. And that is simply too restrictive. Uh, It is a denial of their ability to have an abortion. And so it's, it's an interpretation of the Iowa Constitution now.
0: But also Iowa they law. did rely on Roe v. Wade in Which, making that determination. Right. And so let's say Roe v. Wade gets overturned. They come back and they can't they possibly they can't have the same ruling again. Yeah. Uh, the Secret Service wants you to know if you're going to get gas uh, over the July 4th holiday, your credit card might get skimmed. It's a pain in my gas. You got to look out, but you can't because now the... Uh, the Neer Duels are buying the keys that open up the gas pump, it's so they can install the skimmer inside. And even if you're trying to be vigilant, you it. may not know that it's in there.
3: And let me add to that: not only are they doing that, they're using wireless technology to beam the infor- information directly to the bad guys. With
0: a Bluetooth skimmer, you don't ever have to re- retrieve the skimmer.
3: That's so crazy. they just stick it in yeah. there Get and then let your, take some done. of
0: the risks out of doing this kind of crime. Here. I le- use, get an electric car. Well, that's one answer. Pay with cash. Pay with your credit card inside or, you know, at the window. Or, and this is, it won't necessarily prevent your card from getting skinned, but if you use a gas card, they're not interested Better. in that. They're interested in the real credit card. So if you're just using a Unical card or whatever, you're probably going to be okay.
3: And they also said, use the gas pump that's closest to the clerk. So Closest to the door, closest to oh, that makes sense because they said yep. that the bad guys are most likely going to go to the one furthest away, so you go to the one closest. That makes sense, yeah.
2: Although, if it's a crowded uh gas station, you're going to really wait. No, I go to all the cheapo creepo ones, mm-hmm. I go to USA Today, and I go to or the USA ones, is that uh, what do the hell they call that, and then just uh, the off brand ones. Because I, I'm. If it's You're five just looking cents, for the lowest possible price. I will yeah. if if that extra nickel a gallon actually does it for me. I mean, as crazy as no, that. No, I will
3: too. I'll go, I'll look at both sides of the street. And be Like, right. nope, it's three cents cheaper over you there. Know, because over it's there. A,
2: because it's a question of value. Even yeah. if it's only two bucks. Why would you pay two dollars more when you get the same thing just to pay an extra two dollars? And it doesn't really matter how much money you have; it's yeah. just a question of value.
0: I'm Here's surprised like, you don't fill up at Costco. That's what I was going to Oh no,
2: I do. Yeah. well the line is so long. Marjorie fills up at Costco. I just won't wait in line uh, to go, and Marjorie's the one that goes to Costco ninety percent of the time. And uh, I just that line at Costco drives me nuts.
3: Well, how much gas are you wasting in those lines to save money on gas?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a good point. Although a lot of people turn off their uh the engines and then they bring out the chessboards <laughs> and uh bring a picnic lunch while they're waiting in line they tailgate parties we're done coming up tactical tuesday with brian suits kfi a m six forty
3: you've come to fight a free man and free man you are back your bags fellas war's over oh that's brilliant pumpkin
1: Reminds me of the NAM, man. Oh, excellent. Uh, that's, that's Brian Seuss, by the way,
2: in case you uh, have no idea who was there. Uh, Handle and w- the big stories that we're covering the Thai soccer team has been found, and they're alive and they're well. And- Nobody tell them that they missed their match against Guatemala yeah. and they didn't go through. Absolutely. That's Brian Suits, by the way. Uh, in case you haven't guessed, it was heard uh, here on KFI Saturday night, 10 to midnight, Sunday, 8 to 10. And it is time for Tactical Tuesday with Brian. All right, Brian, we've got a lot to talk about. A uh, Newsweek headline says Donald Trump wants North Korea to denuclearize in a year, but experts say that's impossible. Let's start with, uh, are we getting closer to
1: agreeing what
2: denuclearization is vis-a-vis
1: the United States and North Korea. Not even close. We have been putting off this confrontation where someday Trump realizes that either his staff have been misleading him or guess what, Kim Jong-un has been misleading him. But our understanding of denuclearization, when we use it, and we're talking about CVID, which is confirmed, verifiable, irreversible dismantlement, not denuclearization, dismantlement, the North Koreans have absolutely no intention of anything even like that. How, Nothing. Do, we, how do we know that? Uh, because they continue to improve their enrichment facilities, their missile manufacturing facilities, and most importantly, their mobile launchers. Because the North Koreans don't have silos. We'd have attacked them 10 years ago if they had silos. Um, they, they don't launch them from their spaceport or anything like that. They launch them from mobile launchers, which is uh, virtually impossible for us to defend against then they're making those on an assembly line like uh, like Teslas, or actually more like Fords. Um, and so that's how, if if they, there's one of two things. Either they are continuing full speed ahead with their nuclear program, which I believe, or secondly, Kim Jong-un's a good negotiator. You don't give anything up for free. That thing in Singapore, they signed something on a cocktail napkin. It, it means nothing. Hey, uh, in
2: terms of uh, the Trump's realization, if he's ever going to realize it, Uh, And what you say pans out, and you're certainly not alone, and that is while the, quote, negotiations are going on, the North Koreans are going balls to the wall to increase their capability, increase their delivery systems, uh, increase the number of nuclear weapons. Is Trump going to be the last person on the planet to understand or admit that the the North Koreans are still full of nukes? Or is it going to be uh, that he's he's the only person left that doesn't believe that uh, climate change is here?
1: He's going to have to realize that he oversold what denuclearization means. By the end of the year, when Bolton said, oh, we have a plan for them to denuclearize in one year, they're going to change the meaning of of what that plan is, what it's going to be is that we're going to agree with the north koreans that they can possess and the, and and they'll we'll have to verify they'll agree to let us verify that they can possess 25 ICBMs they're not going to give up being a nuclear power so they can have <clears throat> it'll we'll agree to some number and then they'll also will agree to allow them to have decoys to have 200 decoys and that will be denuclearization so we're going to reverse engineer what denuc- denuclearization means <clears throat> it's going to mean the new meaning will be uh, denuclearize the brink, not remove nuclear weapons from North Korea because they'd be fools to do that, and they're not fools, uh, but it'll be pull the peninsula off the All brink. Right. And so by doing that, we'll say, okay, we'll agree, and you'll agree, and now you'll be a nuclear power.
2: So will uh, Trump even look at it in terms of reality Or will he simply say this is? We have removed all of the nukes. Uh, There's no possibility of uh, North Korea, Kim Jong Un, actually
1: bombing us. No, is he going to go that crazy? He'll. We know how he works. We know his mo. He'll say, "Well, that was the deal all along. I I said denuclearize. I meant agree to a number that they can keep. I never said denuclearize. Get rid of their nukes. I never said. And then you'll reel out a year's worth of him saying." denuclearize, remove all their nuclear weapons. But he'll he will he'll say, no, 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 I'm in the middle of my victory lap. We're going to agree to allow them to have 25 ICBMs. Uh, where do you uh, get the, all along, where do you, that was the... By the way,
2: where do you get that figure? That's just, uh, oh, I pulled right that right out of my ass. Okay, got it. Yeah,
1: even though I'm wearing jeans. Uh, uh, but yeah. it'll be, we will have to acknowledge that they're a nuclear power, and they will possess some. And <clears throat> what they're going to give us is the right to inspect. And because we're, we're going to say back to them... Well, you know what we did with the Soviet Union? Because they're going to say, well, you guys let the Soviets for, for 47 years. Uh, you, you were uh, you had no problem with them. You never went to war with them. And we're going to say, well, we inspected them and they inspected us. So the North Koreans are going to have to realize that the price of this huge concession, allowing this theocracy, this God king to have nuclear weapons, is that we get to, or a third party is going to get to inspect them and that they can keep 25 that they just don't have to tell us where they are. Now, if
2: Kim Jong-un follows his normal course of events, are there still going to be dozens, if not more hidden in uh, facilities that we'll never find
1: out? That's a challenge. And he'll, he'll have to realize if we have 25 and we get to hide them, why have 75? Let's just concentrate on what we get to do. And agent Rodman, We'll have his own lake here in North Korea. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming- Turns out Dennis Rodman's two Korean guys in a Dennis Rodman suit. That's uh, hilarious. All right, we'll be
2: back. Uh, something new that uh, I want to talk about, and that is Syrians at uh, the Israeli border. They're f- not, not protesting. They're fleeing to the border. And I'll share that with you where Brian will jump in. KFI AM 64. 64- handle here on a a tuesday july 3rd tomorrow of course uh the celebration the united states it's our independence day and the big stories that we're covering i'll tell you big day for the thai soccer team those kids uh they have been found and they are healthy healthy and uh a lot is going on um that's actually the biggest story, uh, and then the Supreme Court interviews are going on, but that's, that's a non-story, because we know what's going to happen with uh, President Trump and Roe v. Wade. and how co- The only issue is how conservative, how far to Attila the Hun, his politics, is the new Supreme Court justice. All right, Brian Suits is back. Uh, With Tactical Tuesday, Brian, every uh, Saturday and Sunday here on KFI, Saturday 10 to midnight, and Sunday 8 to 10. Filling in for Sherry and Gannon today. Oh, that's right. And I, last week, I, I forgot to say that you were filling in. Was it yesterday you were yeah. also filling in? Forgot to do that. I will do that today. Also, um, yeah. It's, uh,
1: so what are you going to do? Are you doing it for the rest of the week? I thought I'd do uh, Tactical Tuesday. I'm going to have me in, and uh, Will talk to me. Excellent. That's today. Yeah. And then I'll demonstrate power tools on the radio. That's wonderful Be well great. well no well said. all right
2: uh, something that's fairly new and that is uh, the thousands of Assyrians are fleeing towards Israel's border and we're not talking about uh, them
1: uh, demonstrating are
2: we much like the Palestinians.
1: No, they're begging to get in please let us and also uh, part of the uh, part of the word is that uh, the, the Israelis treat refugees, they don't often get them at their border. Uh, But in in this case, uh, Syrian Sunnis are in the southwest of uh, of Syria are finding that between Jordan, you know, a Sunni Arab country, uh, and Lebanon, a multi-sect country, uh, Israel is a, a more desirable place to go. The Israelis are very generous to genuine refugees. The medical care is a world of difference between Syria and Israel or Jordan and Israel. Uh, and it's it's uh, it's a better place to go, and the Israelis are you know they pat you down, you know they don't let military age men come in and you know by their by the fifties you know they 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 uh, they let families come in uh, because Israel is you know very cognizant of the fact that Israel is a nation literally of refugees, and so they're they're very good about that.
2: So I uh, we're talking well, let me ask you this. Let me go the other way, and that is. Are you talking about uh, Syrians want, coming in, much like the, um, uh, much like uh, the Central Americans, where they want to live in Israel, make a life
1: in Israel, become part of Israel, if they can? They if they are applying for <clears throat> refugee status, but at the moment they just want uh, to get out, get away from the conflict, and and many of them uh, will apply. You know, a lot of Syrian refugees are in Turkey with businesses, in Iraq with businesses. The Jordanians are a-holes to them. They feel like they're being d- disrupted by the Syrians because the Syrians are better at business than the Jordanians. And so uh, for the Syrians, because uh, a lot of people don't know this, the Assad regime is extremely, than his dad, uh, the, the Assad regime is is very, very tolerant of religious minorities because it's run by a religious minority, the Alawites. And so the Syrians know full well that they're good at business and that uh, if they went to Israel, they'd be welcomed uh, and they wouldn't—they wouldn't be there questioning uh, Israel's very uh, right to exist. They'd probably be opening up a iPhone repair shop.
2: All right, uh, the border fence—not uh, the—not not the American border fence, but the Iraqi—the Iraqi border fence uh, going
1: up. Let's talk about that for a moment. Walls don't work. Oh wait, unless of course they do. Uh, you can ask—you can ask the East Germans whether walls work. The Iraqis now that ISIS has been pushed out of Iraq the iraqis have said time for a fence so they're putting up a 21st century uh fence with constant observation uavs overhead but a fence a physical barrier a physical fence that indicates if someone's cutting it or whatever it's under constant video surveillance and they're going to they're going to keep the isis out and every and also the roof roof and it we're putting it up american contractors are putting it up it's going to work the iraqis understand better than anyone but the east germans that, yeah, fences work. And so they're putting up a fence. Fences work. Well, it seems to work in, certainly in Israel, with the fence uh, separating parts of uh, Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. And that was, remember, all the people caterwauling about that. of Oh, they're putting up a wall. Well, yeah, it's keeping the suicide bombers out. And suicide bomb incidences in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem have cratered, have, pardon the, uh, they've uh, uh, virtually been eliminated since they've put up those concrete, upside-down capital T, uh, walls. It, it turns out they work. Who's paying for the wall in Iraq? Is it our money? No, it's their. It's their money, which is kind of our money, but it's it's a lot of their money. But it's coming back to us uh, through, like I say, American contractors with Iraqi labor, uh, and it, it's it's expensive. But for the Iraqis, it's like well, not as expensive as an army full of homicidal madmen for three years, killing uh, eight hundred thousand of your people.
2: Yeah, well, three, how, how, let me ask about a 370 mile, give or take, border. Uh, is that a massive undertaking, or because it's only 370 miles, it's not the huge? Well, I'm, I'm comparing. It'll it be to done ours. like in six months. Oh, you know, we'll we'll be oh done yeah, because there's a hundred
1: crews, you know, building it from the middle out and the and, and the end to the middle and and all that. And plus, the other reason it works is because the Iraqis are going to have the Iraqi army on their side of the fence. You know, we can't do that. Our constitution says we can't do that. But but uh, they, they're going to treat individual illegal aliens or, or, or armies of ISIS as enemies. So the Iraqis are going to have their army on the other side. So you can cut the fence if you want, but you're probably going to eat a bullet. Got
2: it. All right, uh, Brian, thank you. And uh, Brian, filling in for uh, Gary and Shannon today. Also, do you know about the rest of the—I don't even know if they're here for the rest of the week. Is it vacation time for <coughs> Gary and yeah, Shannon? Pretty
1: much everybody. No, I'm, I mean, I'm filling in for you tomorrow. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, well, you're, you're working this week, aren't I have, you? today I'm going to have congressional candidate Antonio Sabato Jr. on at some point between 10 and 2. You he, got it. He was an underwear model. I didn't know that. Sure, I, I didn't was, know that.
2: Neither of us were underwear <laughs> models. You know that? You, that you know, don't you? <laughs> All right. Coming up, uh, Big Brother. Uh, we talked about artificial intelligence and the Chinese being sort of at the fu- forefront. And we're now uh, facial recognition specifically. Oh, do I have a story for you about facial recognition in China? I'll be back with that. KFI AM 640. All right, Jennifer Jones. And this is uh, KFI Handle here on a uh, Tuesday morning, July the 3rd. Big stories that we're covering today. Well, the biggest one is uh, the 12 uh, young soccer players and their coach have been discovered in that cave in Thailand, and they are safe. And now the issue is, how are they going to get them out? Uh, Because uh, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, So uh, dangerous. Okay. And also the uh, president is going through his Supreme Court, uh, potential Supreme Court nominees, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's uh, You can interchange them. They're fungible Supreme Court nominees. All right. Now, uh, oh, all right. So last week, uh, we had that Capital Gazette uh, shooting in Annapolis. And since the shooter uh, would not cooperate whatsoever, wouldn't give him a name, and didn't have any ID on him, what uh, the police did is they used uh, facial recognition software to determine who he was. And then they have, of course, his have his ID, they knew who he was, and I, is anybody upset with that? Of course not. No one is. Now, let's move over to what's happening in China. And I have shared uh, with uh, you this information before, is that when you're talking about uh, facial recognition technology, the Chinese are not only miles ahead, and if they're not miles ahead, they certainly, in terms of the usage of facial recognition software boy that one they're miles ahead of everybody else there was a segment on 60 minutes a few weeks ago that i was stunned as i watched how pervasive facial recognition hardware uh our uh, facial recognition technology is so let me go on and tell you what is happening in china and uh this is at a high school in eastern china and this is a pilot program of which it's not going to be a pilot program by next year. So the authorities um, installed facial recognition cameras. And, of course, those were connected to uh, the a, uh, the artificial intelligence software. And you figure, okay, identifying students and taking attendance, for example. All right, fair enough. I mean, not a problem there. Uh, However, let me tell you how far beyond that it went. They tracked the students' behavior, getting up, moving around, fidgety, that sort of thing, but also read facial expressions, grouping each face into one of seven different, seven different emotions, anger, fear, disgust, surprise, happiness, sadness, and neutral. And now we're going into Minority Report. We're going to know what you think before you think it, and we are going to take ameliorative steps. Discipline if we need to. In Minority Report, the movie with Tom Cruise, people just died. So we're not going to go that far. But uh, this is a glimpse into the future. And the surveillance cameras took data uh, or data on individuals' facial expressions. And then use the information to create a running score on each student in each class. And if a score reached a predetermined point, then the system triggered an alert. Then teachers were expected to take action. For example, to talk to a student perceived to be disengaged, didn't care, or overly moody, or too fidgety. Now the Chinese are saying this is all good stuff because uh, let's talk about the good it can do because it could provide feedback for teachers to uh, plan around, uh, to plan their lectures and classroom management. And it just helps manage uh, the room itself and the students and what works and what doesn't work and uh, what what presentation works and how far, how deep you go into a subject. I mean, those are you know, fairly important. So how did the students feel about this? Well, uh, it was easy to find out when they were asked about this, their facial expressions, that was kind of easy. They hated this. And especially the consequences that followed. When uh, machines reported scores suggesting individuals, even entire classes, weren't paying attention. That seems to be the number one point here, is the inattentiveness. The students don't care. What do we do to make the students care? Well, we can beat them up. We can put them into labor camps. But this isn't North Korea. So what do students do when they started gaming the system? Uh, They were feigning interest. Bored silly, but pretending that it was just fine, that you were engaged. One of the students uh, said, if you feel angry, you just control yourself. And uh, parents had mixed reactions, obviously, to this. Uh, Enough of these parents complained uh, about invasion of privacy. Now, when the Chinese start bitching about invasion of privacy... Man, you know that they have reached a level. And actually, school administrators last month hit the pause button on this, uh, saying that it just needs further studying and some tweaking. However, the school's uh, principal said this is a useful tool and we will get there. Now, let's take it here. U.S. airports, law enforcement, uh, we, they, they use a system to screen travelers and find uh, people that are wanted. Uh, Britain and Russia trying the software as part of their policing and surveillance effort. But nothing as close to what's going on in uh, China. And China's making a big push in artificial intelligence. They've set a goal of being the world's AI leader. I'm talking about the technology by 2030. And look at the people that are involved in AI. Every major tech company in the united states is going for it google and apple and facebook and you've got the major other major uh, computer companies i mean that is going big uh beijing for example is installing facial recognition cameras along with uh scanners this year in the subway system everybody walking into that subway system is going to be scanned Now, they're saying it's to ease congestion congestion, uh, by allowing riders to gain entry faster, by monitoring crowds, finding out which stations need more people, need more cars, etc., which is true, by the way. The problem is how do people feel about you can't get into a subway without them recognizing you, registering you, putting you on a database – Finding out when you get on, when you get off, how long you're staying. I mean, it's, you know, it's an invasion of privacy, right? What's the takeaway here? You can kiss privacy goodbye. The word privacy is disappearing from uh, our lexicon. Tell you that right now. All right, coming up, a topic that I really enjoy, and that is you dying. You're no, so really.
3: Happy about this this I morning.
2: Am, you know, I'm smiling. If there were you facial, re- if there was facial recognition software right now, go, handle. How can you talk about other people dying and smile about it? I go. You didn't. You didn't need facial recognition software to figure that out.
3: And if no one knows, handle's all about the silver lining it's not him dying that's
2: also it's you dying. that is absolutely correct we'll be back with that <laughs> actually it's a fairly serious uh, topic and i think you you're going to uh, agree with me and there's something here you might not even know this is KFI.
3: and when i die and when i'm gone there'll be one child born in this world carry on carry on
2: oh yeah handle here It is a Tuesday morning, July 3rd, uh, coming up uh, with the Gary and Shannon Show. It won't be Gary and Shannon. It will be Brian Suits filling in. All right. And tomorrow, I think it's Wayne filling in for me, right? Fair enough. Now, uh, one of the topics that I love to talk about is you dying. Uh, I just happen to be obsessed with death for some reason. And And on a very serious note, the uh, right to die with dignity, aid in dying law that we have here in California, we're one of the few states that does have that. And it's it's a horrible law that the number of people that actually can take advantage of it are tiny. It's uh, You have to have, uh, what, six months uh, left to live, and you have to verbally say that you want to die and two doctors and a couple weeks apart. I mean, just goes on and on. And then the doctor will issue a prescription but won't physically give you the drug itself, and if anybody that does, that's murder. So uh, it doesn't help people that have uh, ALS. Uh, It doesn't help people that can't move. So it's very limited to people that are effectively dying of cancer, some other disease, and are still cognizant, uh, still have uh, cognition. So uh, there's a story in the Huffington Post about this uh, woman, Jennifer Glass, uh, who actually asked her husband to photograph her every day after she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And towards the end of it, the pain had become completely intolerable. It had driven her mad. The cancer had spread everywhere from her colon colon to her spine, her liver, her adrenal gland, one of her lungs. It penetrated her brain and the pain was so bad that there was no medication that made it bearable. She couldn't die. Why? Because this was two years before the right to die uh, law came into effect. I mean, she'd be qualified now. I mean, she would certainly meet the bar. And so what did happen? Well, she received palliative sedation, palliative care. And under palliative sedation, a doctor gives a terminally ill patient enough sedatives to induce unconsciousness. That is legal is to make a person who is in that much pain effectively unconscious. It's anesthesia. And you give a little tiny bit too much, it's death. And there's a very thin line between the two. And this is where uh, doctors who actually give rats about dying patients will go if there is no right to die act or aid in dying act. Uh, A national medical director of this advocacy group, Compassion and Choices, a doctor, uh, said that the boundary between those two, the aid in dying and palliative sedation, is fuzzy, it's gray, it is conflated. But helping someone die, and I've said this many, many times before, that death is part of life. I mean, doctors who don't think that's the case are out of their minds. How can it not be? And doctors treating patients, you know the Hippocratic Oath, I will do no harm. How is it possible that helping someone die painlessly and with dignity, pursuant to their wishes, and we're not talking about coerced wishes, but I'm talking about genuine wishes, which I know there's a whole issue, what's coercion, what's not, and I guess that's one of the fears, which is legitimate. But how is that that good Good quality medical help, medical care, and a humane way of dealing with a patient. So here's how they got around it. And it has to do only with people that are suffering pain, lots of pain. I mean, this is all different little bits and pieces until you have an absolute right to die. And the only thing they have to determine is whether or not you're being coerced or it's under duress. And so it is simply when there is so much pain... Then doctors, uh, it depends on the morally, but certainly legally, are allowed to give enough a, enough drugs, painkillers, to put someone into unconscious, unconsciousness. And in the case of Jennifer Glass, for example, she ended up uh, getting uh, phenobarbital to put her into a coma. I mean, it was not a painkiller. They The painkiller, none of them worked. I mean, there wasn't a painkiller on this planet that worked in dealing with her pain. It was that intensive, but they were able to put her in under, in under, uh, effectively under anesthesia, enough phenobarbital, and uh, the point was, we'll just put her under and let nature take takes its course. And uh, effectively, they figured it was going to be a few weeks. She died within a week. According to uh, this doctor, a specialist in palliative care medicine at UCLA Medical Center, he said the goal of Aiden dying is to be dead. That's the patient's goal. The goal in palliative sedation is to manage the intractable symptoms, particularly pain, and that's through reduction of consciousness or even complete unconsciousness. And is there an argument there? Well, of course there is. You know, you've got the morals. Do you help someone die? Do you not? Is it murder? How dare you as a doctor? But the bottom line on this one is while helping someone die, this aid dying business uh, that is available in Oregon and California, et cetera, while that's now legal under very, very strict circumstances, palliative sedation is legal in all 50 states. All of them. That makes sense. So that made me feel better, because you, I, have a right to call it when we want to call it. Uh, if I want to die, I don't think it's any—I don't think it's your business to tell me whether or not uh, I should or shouldn't. I can't stand these sanctimonious people that decide. Well, we're not going to let the sanctity of life. Hey, it's my life. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be. I don't want you to sanctify it, right? There's nothing There's nothing that's worthwhile in my life to sanctify it. I like being who I am. Miserable, ornery, obnoxious. Where's the sanctity there? Coming up, Brian Suits in for Gary and Shannon. Handle in the morning crew, we'll see you on, I'll see you on Thursday, tomorrow I'm off, and I think Wayne is filling in for me. KFI AM 640.